he's no stranger, but some of you have, are new to our church. And you've never been exposed to uh, Coleman Bailey. And he is the most frontline, adventurous, faith-filled, scared of nobody, no situation missionary. Most people go their whole Christian life and never get to sit at the feet of a Coleman Bailey. Somebody has said he's this generation's Bill Wilson. And um, he's a longtime partner. You've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to the chagrin of the rest of our missionaries around the world. But you've given it to Coleman because God's using him in a special way. Coleman, we love you. We're so honored. We have great respect for you. You are one of ours. Would you help me honor Coleman Bailey as he comes to minister this morning? Do it. Amen. And I love you. <laughs> I love all of you guys so much. I was telling the first service, um, you know, uh, it's amazing. Every single time I've come here, since the very first time I've come here, it's like as soon as I get out in the parking lot, there's like six different people greeting me saying, hey, Coleman, how's it going? How's it going? And uh, it's just, it makes me feel so welcomed and so loved. Uh, there's only one other place in this entire world where I feel as loved as I do here. Uh, and that's the Waffle House in Griffin, Georgia. <laughs> I don't know what it is about those waitresses, but oh my goodness, those those people, hey Coleman, but uh, but but you guys in Waffle House? <laughs> no, 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 you guys probably a little bit more. But uh, but, but I love you guys uh, so much, and it is just such a privilege for me to be here. I actually extended my trip here in America an extra week uh, just so I could be here. Uh, and that's a lot for me to do because I absolutely love being overseas. Uh, it's the joy of my life, uh, but I'm just so happy uh, to be here. Hey, I know um, there's a lot of new faces, so a lot of you may not know who I am, but my name is Coleman Bailey. Uh, I serve uh, predominantly in Africa and Eastern Europe. Um, I've been doing missions work now for eight years uh, I started out in 2015. I had just graduated from college. I'd gotten accepted in some good graduate programs. And I was planning on jumping into those graduate programs. And then I uh, just felt like some things were kind of shifting in my life. And so I deferred a year. Now, I had no desire to do any ministry. I had no desire to do any missions work. Uh, zero desire to do missions work. I was from Griffin, Georgia. Uh, my greatest dream in life, let me tell you, my greatest dream in life was just moving to this side of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> and how many of you on this side of Atlanta say, okay, yeah, it's a little bit better than that side? <laughs> and, uh, but that was my greatest dream in life. Uh, but but I, 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 it's not that I just didn't want to go overseas. It's like I, I didn't want that. I did not want to do any ministry. I didn't want to do any missions work. And somehow I found myself uh, over in Kathmandu. I bought a one-way plane ticket to Kathmandu, Nepal. And I didn't go there with an organization. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I just literally booked a one-way plane ticket. Uh, yeah, some of you are like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you see, that sounds like faith to a lot of you guys, doesn't it? You say, man, that Coleman has a lot of faith. I'll tell you right now, that was not faith. That was stupidity. <laughs> that was just complete idiocracy right there. I, I tell you, I, I, I was so... I was so unprepared. This is just me. If, if you know me, it's just one of my vices. But, but I was so unprepared that I got out of the airplane, and I stood there for two and a half hours uh, out of the airplane. I just had my, my little duffel bag, and I was just standing there looking like an idiot. 
And, uh, and the reality was I didn't even think to look where I'd be sleeping that first night. <laughs> I tell you, if, if you're looking at going into missions, don't do that, okay? <laughs> but uh, but uh, I stayed there for about three, four months. Or, well, I stayed there for an entire year, but for like three, four months, every single day I'd go out and I'd try to help street kids out. Every single day I would fail and fail miserably. Uh, and then after about three, four months, we won't go into it right now, uh, but over the course of an entire month, God just broke me down and just completely rewired me and just completely changed every single thing about my DNA. If, if you've known me for a long time, you'll know that, that in that one month, my life got completely changed and I'm just a completely different person now. God changed me. And, uh, and we began to see God do some miraculous things all around us. And then uh, I started going from Nepal to India, Sri Lanka. And then I started working uh, across Africa uh, and, and in Eastern Europe. And I'm going to share some of those stories um, with you in just a, a little minute. But, but one thing I want to share with you is this. That every single year, uh, as I've been working with all these orphanages overseas... We've been launching different orphanages. It's, it's just radical to see what's going on. Every single year, I start out the year, like many of you, and I just pray. I say, God, what do you want me to do this year? And every single year, I'll start writing down all this different stuff about what God wants me to do. And, and I feel like, man, this is just huge. And I'll, I, and I'll start, I'm like, man, I don't know if we'll be able to reach all of these goals. And, and we can try, and we can do this and this and this, and maybe we'll, we'll accomplish this huge feat this year. And every single year, my biggest dream winds up being about 10% of what we end up doing. God winds up just being so much bigger than my wildest dreams. And every single year, I just find myself like I'm just putting God in a little bit of box. And every single year, God's just showing me that I am bigger than you think. This morning, we've got just a few minutes together. We've got just a few moments together. But, but one thing I hope you ask yourself in this service is, is maybe God's bigger than I think he is. I tell you, I don't want to serve a God that I can just put in a box. The, the, the Israelites, they, they, they tried to do that when they were in the wilderness. They, they made an idol out of God. I, I can't fathom why they did that, but, but God was just a little too wild. He was just a little bit too dangerous. He was just a little too consuming, and so they made an idol out of God. And that's always our temptation, that we just make an idol out of God, something that we can comprehend. But I don't want to come in here and just worship a God I can comprehend. I want to worship a God that is beyond my comprehension. I started off this year, I was just reading through the book of Job, just over and over and over again. And then the life of Job was just something that was really wrecking me. But if you read through the book of Job, many of you know the story. Job was a, he, he was a wealthy, profitable man. He, he had a good life. Uh, but, but Job, uh, the, uh, he had everything taken from him. And when that happened, over the first 32 chapters of the book, what you see is you have him dialoguing with his three friends, and they're all talking about, okay, why did this atrocity happen to Job? Was it because of this? Was it because of that? And some of them, they're, they're getting the, the, the answers right. Some of them, they're getting it wrong. But after 32 chapters of just this monotonous reading, there's a, a man named Elihu. And Elihu, he says, he, he, he lets all three of them speak, and then Elihu just gets angry. He gets frustrated. And then Elihu steps up, and for eight chapters, Elihu just gives this amazing speech. And the whole gist of this is that, 
of what Elihu says is God is bigger than you think. And you're developing all these different theological arguments for God, but you're talking about a God that you can comprehend. God is beyond our comprehension. I think it's in chapter 36 where he actually says, for he is God and he is beyond our comprehension. Some passage or some translations will say, for he is God and we don't know him. That's the God we serve. I don't want a God that's a golden calf. I want a God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose arms and legs are like bronze, who's clothed in lightning. That's the God we serve. Maybe God's bigger than we think. And maybe whatever you brought into this service, maybe your life, maybe, maybe the, the frustrations you bring into this service, maybe God's bigger than you think. I love that we had this time of prayer right now. God is a God of miracles. And I don't want to speak about God even for just a few moments like he's not right here in the middle with us. So Jesus, right now, we just surrender these next few moments, God. God, God may, may I just be a conduit of your spirit, God. I can't change anybody's life, Lord. My words can't change anybody's life. But one encounter with you, Lord, one moment with you, God, even just an ounce of a moment with you will change absolutely everything. So Jesus, I just ask that right now, God, that you would come and change absolutely everything. God, flip this world upside down, God. Change it all, Lord. Jesus, would you come and would you come in power? We need to see you, Jesus. Amen. I want to... Um, and get into the word here in just a minute, but I want to give you guys an update of some things that are happening uh, overseas. Um, and uh, we got a little bit more time because it's a Sunday morning, so I just want to share with you just a couple of things that have been happening overseas. Uh, and, and some things specifically that you guys have been involved in uh, in, a, in a major, major way. But um, uh, last year, uh, I've spent the last year and a half, um, I guess, It's been 501 days uh, since the invasion of Ukraine, but I've spent the last year and a half uh, kind of oscillating most of my time between Ukraine and DR Congo. Uh, And in Ukraine, I think some of you know what's happening over there. Yeah, there's a little bit of a war. But uh, we have five orphanages uh, in Ukraine, and, and I've been working with those orphanages now for five years. Uh, I was there in January 2022, right before the war, and we were all setting up all these different plans of, of what might happen uh, if Russia did invade. And, uh, and we were trying to develop all these plans. Okay, if, if Russia does this, then we'll do this. And, uh, and then I went down to DR Congo, and I was there for the month of February, and then Russia did invade. And, and the invasion was so much bigger uh, than we ever could have, uh, have imagined it was. It was so much more dangerous. It was so much more crazy. And, uh, and I shot right back up into Ukraine, and uh, I spent the, most of last year in Ukraine uh, just working with our orphanages. For the first little bit, I was working with just trying to get our orphanages to safety. So many of our orphanages, uh, they are now occupied by Russia, uh, the location of them. Two of our buildings have been completely destroyed. And, uh, and I can remember when I went there for the first time, we, we, I went there and we just saw this line of like 10, 15,000 people uh, just trying to leave the country. I was completely overwhelmed. I said, God, what do we do here? How do we make a difference? And, and, and I had nothing. I had no clue what we were doing. 
but we just kept trying to make a difference just one step at a time. And we moved one orphanage, and then we moved another, and then we got all five of our orphanages to safety, and then we moved a few more, and we ended up moving over 20 orphanages uh, to, to safe places in Ukraine and throughout Europe. It was amazing to see. Uh, on top of that, we, we set up last uh, April, and it's still working right now, we set up a, a warehouse about 15 miles from the front line. Uh, today, 15 miles from the front line where people are fighting, we've got a huge warehouse where we're processing between 8 to 10 tons uh, of humanitarian food every single day. And we've got seven chaplaincy teams of, made up of pastors who have, have lost their churches uh, in the war, but they're, they're serving on our team now. And every single day, they go out and they deliver this aid to people. And, um, and, and I've been out there with them. We've been under uh, artillery fire. We've been shot at. We've had some of the craziest things ever happen. Uh, but one thing that we've also seen is that we've not, able, not only been able to meet the needs, the physical needs of people, but we've been able to share the gospel. And I know a lot of people right now, they're, they're looking at the news and we're saying, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy in all of this? Uh, we don't know. We can't trust the media. We're trying to say, who, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Is Russia good? Is, is, is Ukraine good? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And, and which side are we on? And, and I'll just tell you right now, I'm not on either side. I'm on the side of the kingdom of God. And one thing that we're seeing is that even in the midst of a war, we're seeing the kingdom of God grow. We're seeing it happen. Now, i just tell you this real quick, too, just because it's, it's, it's moved me over the last year. Uh, I spent last year, I mean, we just, I spent so many hours behind the wheel of a bus just driving people back and forth from east to west, east to west. And I remember one day I, I was driving, and, and I was so tired. I hadn't slept, and, and I just had this epiphany of a moment when I was praying to God. I thought, God, if I wouldn't have met this one person six months ago, if you wouldn't have brought that person to my life, then these people right here, right now, their needs wouldn't have gotten met. But God, you connected us. And then I thought, God, two years ago I met this person, and three years ago I met this person, and, 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 and all of these things have, have just given us the ability to meet the needs of people. And I, I remember just rejoicing before God, saying, God, you prepared me for this moment. And then it's like God revealed something even greater to me than that. It was like God, God just hasn't prepared me for this moment in Ukraine. God's been preparing me my whole life for this. So many times in our lives, what we do is, what we'll tend to do is we'll look at our lives and we'll say, okay, man, there was some bad times in my life. And man, there were some great times in my life. And what we'll do is we'll say, okay, God was with me in the great times, and, and he was absent in the bad times. But church, let me just tell you this right now. God was with you just as much in the mountain as he was with the valley. God was with you in every single moment. And if you can take every single moment, if you can take all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the shame of your past, and you can just give it to God, God will use absolutely everything. He'll use it all. I started to think, man, God, you've been preparing me for this from the time I was a little child, God, even when I don't realize it. I've been working in Ukraine. I've been working in Congo. And this church has just changed the life of so many people in DR Congo. So many of you will remember the story. I went there several, several years ago. And uh, the first time I went there, DR Congo, in eastern DR Congo, there's a war that's been going on for 25 years. Five million people have died in this war. 
It's a stat not a lot of people know of. Not a lot of people know about a war going on in Congo, but we went there, and, and you guys remember Reagan from two weeks ago. Reagan was with me in all of that. And uh, we had this big building that was unfinished. We didn't have any windows, no doors, no mattresses. I think we had $2,000. That was our total budget. And, uh, and we said, man, let's start an orphanage. Let's start an orphanage. And let's not just work with the kids in Goma. Let's go deep into the jungles and work with kids there. And so that's exactly what we did. We started going deep into the jungles and... Uh, and, and it was so crazy. I, I was hiding in the back of vehicles. We'd have blankets over me uh, so no one could see me. We were just maneuvering in a very strategic way. And, and we were able to rescue 15 kids at that time. And, uh, and, and I encountered probably hundreds out there. Hundreds of children we encountered out there. And the way we ended up selecting the children that we would take into the orphanage, because we only could take in a limited number, was we just said, okay, which kids won't last Three months if we don't take them. Which kids won't last four months? Now, I know today, I'm, I'm just confident today that I, I, it's just something I think about from time to time, that there's kids I encountered in those days that I know aren't alive right now. That's a terrible feeling sometimes. Sometimes it just feels like you're just swimming in a, a, a sea of insurmountable needs. But we went forward. We kept taking in more and more children, and, and we got it up to, to about 45, 50 just a couple of years ago, and, and I went out into the jungle one time at that time, and, and we went to this super dangerous place. Uh, the, some militants had just come in there, raided, killed a bunch of people, and I was talking to this woman, and she said, you know, it's bad here. We're suffering. It's terrible what's going on, but at least it's not as bad as Bunia, the city of Bunia. So, well, my God, we got to get up to Bunia. <laughs> I'm a moth to a flame. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what we did. And, uh, and, and I went up into Bunia. Bunia is, is a, a larger city in the Aturi province of eastern DR Congo, and there's a military base there. And because there's a military base there, all of these people who have their villages raided, they, they flock to there and, and they live there. I think we got some photos of the refugee camps there. Um, but but and there's two camps. There's one that's got 14,000. Another one's got 16,000 people in it. And uh, I can remember going up there for the first time. And I remember just walking in there and just being completely, again, overwhelmed by an insurmountable need. Completely overwhelmed. And I had malaria and typhoid fever at the same time while I was doing that. I was so sick. And I saw all that and just thought, God, what, what can we do? I wanted to start something there that day, that moment. It's, it's the only time in my ministry where I felt like God's told me to wait. I hated that. I don't like waiting. But I felt like God told me to wait. And he said, Coleman, um, uh, you have this orphanage in Goma. It can house 100 children. You don't even have water for these kids, a, a water solution for them. Take care of what you got before you grow. And, and so I came back to the States, and, and I, I worked my tail off. I was trying to raise a dollar at every single corner. And, and, and we, we started raising funds, and we started doing work, and we started bringing in more kids. And about the time where I thought, okay, we're a little bit stable, I came here. And that was about two years ago, and some of you were at that service, and, and we just had an amazing service, and you guys just gave just so sacrificially and so much funds, and, and what we did was we bought a piece of land in Bunia, and, and we built an orphanage. And it took us a little while to build the orphanage because of the war there, but, but we just launched it in January. 
I tell you, when we launch an orphanage, typically what we do is we'll launch it with 15 children. And the reason why we do that is we'll take in 15 children, we'll spend about a year with those 15 children, and we'll just try to invest in those children. And one thing we're trying to do is we're trying to establish a culture. And so after we have that culture established, we'll take in like two or three children at a time, and those children, they'll naturally see how the other children act, and they'll just, you know, uh, respond after that. Uh, But with this orphanage, we, we launched it with 15 and, uh, and, and I'll tell you right now, we launched it with 15 in January. Today, there's over 50 children in that orphanage. We've never grown an orphanage this fast, but it's because the need is just so massive. Now, I'll just tell you, there's, there's a photo of a girl named Sarah. And, and Sarah, she has just recently come into the orphanage. I just, she's a perfect symbol of, of what we're doing here. Uh, she actually came into the orphanage since the last time I was here two weeks ago. So she came in about a week ago. But, but Sarah, eight months ago, her village got raided. And, and over here in Bunia, when people are killing each other, they're doing it with machete. And, uh, and her village got raided and her parents were killed with a machete, and her neighbors actually evacuated her, took her while their village was getting raided, and, and ran away. And, um, and, and she, they, they took care of her for about six months, and then about two months ago, uh, their village got raided again, and, and uh, these caregivers, these neighbors, they were killed in that. And so she's lost her her, her, her family figures twice. I was just praying for this girl yesterday. I mean, I was just praying over her. And I was just praying, God, her name's Sarah, Lord. God, God, would she just be like Sarah in Scripture, God? And may the promise of God just come from her. God, would you just send a promise to her? And I just ask that you guys would pray for her in that same capacity. Listen, church, I don't have very much time, but, but, but one thing I want to do is I, is I just want to thank you guys for giving. I know so many of you guys gave. You know, you see that big, beautiful building that's housing all of these children right now. This church, every single cinder block, every single window pane, every single door you guys have paid for. The paint on the building you guys have paid for. And, and because of all of that, we, we've been able to see these lives changed. That's just something that I just think is so amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, church, sometimes we can share stories like this, and it can seem absolutely so bleak, doesn't it? The situation of of the world. In the last year and a half, I've seen more human suffering in the last year and a half than I have in my entire life combined. And sometimes it, it can feel so bleak. I was talking with Pastor Chuck two weeks ago after service. We had lunch together, and, um, and, and I was telling him about all this. I said, man, it just seems at face value, what's going on overseas, it just seems so terrible what's going on. I said, but when I'm overseas, though, it just feels like we're winning. You know, we see what's going on here in Bunia. It doesn't feel like we're losing there. It feels like we're winning. We're seeing lives changed in Goma. We're seeing the Spirit of God move amongst our children. We're seeing lives changed. Every single day we're planning churches. We're seeing lives changed. In Ukraine, I feel like we are winning. I don't know if Russia's winning or Ukraine's winning, but one thing I know is we're winning. (laughs) 
The kingdom of God is winning and the kingdom of God is growing. And at face value, it doesn't look that way, but there's an undertone of the spirit of God that is moving and he's moving rapidly. It's a God that who exists beyond my comprehension. Now, I've been here for seven weeks now, and, and, and after seven weeks of being here, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. So many times people think me going overseas, like, oh, Coleman's he's got a lot of spiritual warfare going on over there. I feel it more here than I do over there. You see, at face value here, we seems like we have prosperity, we've got peace, everything's going okay. But the undertones, it just feels like we're losing here. We talk about it all the time. It feels like we're losing, church, and I absolutely hate losing. I've never liked losing. Have you ever liked losing? No. I hate losing. I don't want to just go through church just in the same routine that we've always done it. We can't keep doing things like we keep doing it. I love the sermon that Pastor Chuck preached just a couple weeks ago. I felt like it was just a, a, a rhema word for the church. It's, that, that it's like we're living in the last 15 years of the life of Hezekiah. Where we're just pretending like everything's okay, but everything's not okay. And what we need is a church that's just full of the Spirit of God to stand up and to walk according to the Spirit of God. One thing I know is this, that, that, that we are indeed living in the last days. We're living in the last days. And church, let me just tell you this right now. Living in the last days, that should animate literally everything about your faith. It should, live, it, should, it should animate everything about your faith. It should change the way you read your word. You know, even me coming up here and preaching, I, I, I preach with the return of Christ on my mind. You know, I'm leaving in just a couple of days to go overseas, and I always have this thought, you know, whenever I'm leaving America, you know, because of some of the stuff that I do, it's like, what if this was my last sermon? Like, what would I say if this was my last sermon? And I think about that, and even just being here and worshiping with you guys, it's like, okay, what if this would be my last sermon? Not because of something terrible happening to my life, but what if this was my last sermon just because Jesus Christ was coming back? Like, how would we do church if we knew Jesus was coming back today? How would we worship if we just believed that at any moment he could come back right as we're singing? How would we preach? How would we live? How would we talk to our families once we lived, left here? The return of Christ should animate everything about us. You know, Scripture says that in the last days there's going to be destruction, there's going to be war, there's going to be rumors of war, and we have all of these terrible prophecies of the last days, and it's like we can see those things happening before our eyes. But Scripture also says that in the last days I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. In the last days, I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah to return the hearts of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. In the last days, God's spirit is going to move. And if I'm looking for something in the last days, I don't want to be chasing destruction. I want to be chasing the moving of the spirit of God, a God who exists beyond my comprehension. That's what I want to pursue. And if I can give my whole life for that, I want to give my whole life for that. Now, I've, I've, I've really been changing the way I, I, I pray over the last year. The content of my prayer, it's changed so much. Now, I've just been praying, Jesus, can, can you do one of two things? 
in light of all of this injustice that's happening around the world and all the injustice that's happening in this country, Lord, can you either send your son Jesus to come and put an end to all of this injustice, or, or Lord Jesus, can you send your Holy Spirit to, to just bring forth the revival in these last times? God, either send your son or send your Holy Spirit. But God, I'm sick of being a part of, of something that, that, that is not either your son or your Holy Spirit. I don't want to just keep going through the motions. God, send your son or send your Holy Spirit, Jesus, please. I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to be real brief because I know we're running out of time. But there's a passage of scripture that's just been absolutely moving me a lot over the, the past month. It's found in Luke 18. Jesus teaches a parable, and again, I'm going to be real brief, but in Luke 18, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and to not give up. And he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets a justice so that she won't eventually attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Look, Jesus, he teaches, he, he gives this parable to his disciples so that they can see that they should pray and they not give up. I want you to look at the character he chose uh, to teach this parable. He didn't say there was a rich young ruler who, who had an, something unjust happen to his life. And, and, and the rich young ruler, he, he got all of his people together and he, and he went and he banged on the door of this judge. No, he said he, said he chose a widow. A widow who had absolutely everything taken from her. A widow that was powerless. I look around the world and I just, this is, I'm drawn to this passage because she says, grant me justice against my adversary. I just feel like that's the prayer, the, the, the unprayed prayer of so many broken people I see around the world. They have no access to justice. And the system that, that was in the Bible times is, is the same system that operates around so much of the developing world. We have justice systems that aren't meant to protect individuals. They're meant to protect powerful people from individuals. They're not made for people. And this is what we see in this passage right here. We, we see a system that's corrupt and we see a woman that is absolutely powerless. And what the devil wants to do with each and every single one of us, he wants to highlight our powerlessness. You see, I can imagine that for the listeners of this parable, they were shocked at what this woman did. Why? Because this woman was powerless. She, she, what, she was a woman in, in, in a patriarchal society, and she was widowed. And then on top of all that, she, she had some kind of injustice happen to her. And there's probably thousands and thousands of people like this uh, in, in the Bible times. Today, every single hour, 48 women get raped in eastern DR Congo. You know how many police officers are, are looking into that? And what, what happens to most of these women, they, 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 they have this injustice taken against them and they, and they wind up just sitting down in defeat. And like Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and, and what we do as the church so many times is, is we see our powerlessness. 
We see our weakness and we're very aware of it. And the devil highlights it in our lives. And, and what we do is we, we come in here every single week and we sit down in our, our powerlessness. We sit down in our hopelessness. And we think, man, I never could do something like that. But, but God uses the story of a widow. And he says, this widow, she got something in her and, and it just consumed every single bit of her so much so that she didn't sit down. No, she stood up and she didn't just stand up, but she walked across the neighborhood and started banging on the door of this powerless man until this powerful man uh, who was completely unjust did something of justice. And that image is what we're hoping for today, that a church would rise up, get off their seat, would begin to walk across, say, hey, I don't care whose door I'm beating on, but, but we're going to see that justice gets taken care of. You see, here's the beautiful thing about all of this. This book is full of God using powerless people to do things. And I don't know why he does this, but God uses powerless people to do things. For some reason, God uses barren women to birth children. For some reason, God called Moses, who couldn't speak, to lead a nation. When we look at Acts chapter 1, God gave those 120 people, 120 people, he said, he, he gave them an impossible task. He says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses to the entire world. It was an impossible task. Let me tell you something, church. If God is calling you to do something, if God is calling you to do something, it is going to be something that looks impossible. God calls his church to do impossible things. And you were called to walk in the impossible. That's what you're called to do. Why? Because if you could do things on your own strength, you would get the glory. But our lives are made to glorify God. And so when we come in, God comes into our lives and, and he begins to do things beyond our capabilities. God gets glorified. He gets glorified. How much time do I got? What time do we close this? Huh? Huh? We don't have a next serve. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to tell you something else then. <laughs> but we do have nursery workers. I'm going to tell you half of something then. <laughs> this woman, she got absolutely consumed with something. Uh, they're, 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 the last verse of this, Jesus asked a question to his disciples. And that question, it almost seems disconnected from the, the whole entire parable. He tells this parable about this woman. And then, and then he says this. He talks about the return of Christ. Something we've just been talking about. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's an open-ended question that I hope each one of you ask yourself today. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in my life? Will he find faith in my marriage? Will he find faith in the way that I worship? Will he find faith in the way that I give? Will he find faith in the way that I live my life? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? And it almost seems disconnected, but, but you can really easily miss the point. You see, I'm sure the disciples, they asked, what got into this woman to make her do this? It was 
faith. It was faith that got that woman out when no one else would get up. She was convinced of what she believed. And church, one thing I want to ask you is, are you convinced of what you say you believe? If you become convinced of what you believe, it's going to change absolutely everything about your life. If I become convinced that when I worship God, there's angels worshiping with me, it's going to change the way that I worship. If I believe that God does inhabit the praises of his people, it's going to change the way that I worship. If if, if I am convinced that I believe that there is a hell, it's going to change the way that I look at the lost people in my life. If I'm convinced that the same spirit that raised Christ's dead body from a cold grave lives in me. It's going to change the way that I live. Are you convinced of what you believe? We just talked about the, the disciples in Acts. and Acts chapter 7, I encourage you to go home and read it, but, but it's the first martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen, he encountered something at Pentecost, and he became so absolutely convinced of it that, that he began to preach the gospel. And as he began to preach, they began to stone him. They began to kill him. But he was just undeterred in his faith. And he said he saw Jesus. And I think, man, that's just what I want in my life. God, I pray that that you just become absolutely convinced of what you believe. That the church today becomes absolutely convinced of what they believe. I'll tell you this one story and then then I'll close. And then we'll let the nursery rookers leave. I was here two years ago and I, I shared a story and I told you about how uh, in that one month in Nepal, I'm telling you, everything got rewired in me. I, I, God spoke to me pretty harshly in a prayer time after I, this long story there. I got real sick to the point where I almost, I couldn't move for two days. And I had this amazing encounter with God where God actually healed me. And then after that, uh, it was about two weeks later. I, listen, I'd never shared the gospel in Nepal. I mean, I was, I, not only was I scared to do it, I, for some reason my brain was so jacked up back then, I thought it was bad to share the gospel that's another story. But uh, I had these young men in my house that night, and uh, I just asked them, I said, do you guys ever have any questions about Jesus? And again, I never shared the gospel. These are Nepalese Hindus who had never heard anything about Jesus Christ. I was actually just talking to one of them last night. He's doing amazing things right now. But I said, do you guys ever have any questions about Jesus? And this one kid said, yeah. He said, I was with you two weeks ago, and he said, I began to feel something when I was around you. He said, I began, he had bad English, he said, I began to feel this. He said, I feel this every single time I'm around you. I I feel this right now. What is this? Does this have anything to do with Jesus? I remember I was in a terrible mood that day. I wasn't feeling this. But I just begin to say, yeah, what you're feeling right now, it's the presence of God. And I began to just give him the most basic, terrible, mundane articulation of the gospel you've ever heard. It was terrible how I explained the gospel. But as I began to do this, these young men, they began to weep. I'm not telling you they just shed a tear. They began to weep. And, and I remember I, I asked him, I said, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? I explained what it meant. 
I explained what all that meant. They're like, yeah, and, and I led them in the sinner's prayer, and they just began to cry. And, and I remember they left my room that night, and I, and I had a little thin mat that I slept on the floor with. It's about that thick, and I laid there, and I stayed awake the entire night. I was just in shock of what happened. I remember for the first hour or two of my shock, I was just thinking, God, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could do this. God, you, he's a God beyond our comprehension. I didn't know that a God beyond my comprehension could do this. And I was in shock. But then I stayed up for much longer hours than that. And I was in shock over a different truth. And the truth was this, not that God could do this. That wasn't what was blowing me away. But the fact was that God used me. God used Coleman Bailey from Griffin, Georgia, who had made plenty of mistakes in his life, who, who had nothing to anything. God used me, and for 22 years of my life, if I'm being completely honest with you, I never believed at my heart that I was someone that was capable of being used by God. And maybe you feel that way today, too. If you're just being radically open and honest, maybe you feel that way today too. I just want to tell you the same spirit that raised Christ's dead body from a grave lives in you. I want you to know that you're not just capable of being used by God, but that you're called to it. And just like from the time I was born, God's been fashioning me. He's been preparing me for what I'm doing right now. God's been preparing you for your entire life for these next days, for these last days. God's been preparing you. He's been preparing his bride, his church. God's been preparing you. Listen, I know that so many times you can see what's happening in my life. You can say, hey, Coleman's got a great calling on his life. He's got a great anointing on his life. And that's why all of these great things are happening. And, and, and we use that language a lot. And, and I just want to tell you that I disagree with all of that. What you see happening in my life is not because of a greater calling or a greater anointing. Our ability to be used by God is not based on our calling or anointing. It's not based on those capacities for those things. It's based all on our capacity to surrender. And if you can just have a greater capacity of surrender, if you can just surrender a little bit more today, God can use you. There's a prayer that you can pray, and you can just say, God, wherever you want me, God, I'll be there. God, whenever you want me, God, at any time of the day, God, I will do it. Whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it, wherever you want me to go, if you can pray like that, God can do some amazing things in your life. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. God is calling his church in these last days. Yeah. It's Jesus that changes everything. Today I just pray that you see a greater reality of the, of the reflection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, right now, Lord, I ask that you would begin to raise up a bunch of widows, God, who are just so annoyed with the reality of things. God, that are just so consumed with a great faith. God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit on us now, Father. Lord God, and as I just prayed, God, God, we just place our lives in a position of surrender. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? If you feel like God's calling you right now, would you just lift your hands and surrender and just say, God, whenever you want me, God, whatever you want me to do, God, however you want me to do it, any time of the day, any place, God, I will do it. 
Lord, we just surrender to you right now. We just say, Jesus, use your church. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Listen, I'll tell you this, just last thing. I know I keep saying last thing. We're talking about some big weighty things right now. But really, faith happens at the most minute details of the day. And you can go and everyone can go and do a work of faith by the end of the day. But, but, but one thing I want you to know is this. That we don't serve an unjust judge. We serve a father in heaven. And, and as much as you want to be used by God, God wants to use you so much more. And as much as you want to draw close to God, God wants to draw so much closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, everyone? Um, I want to ask you all, you four, if you'll come and just... As your pastor, sometimes I hear things and I, I have to highlight, underline, bold print. I, I want everybody listen. Please, no one moving around. Just listen. Did you hear the last two services? We've heard Coleman say several things that I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us. One is the places where it looks like God is absent is where He's moving the most. Can you receive that? The times when it looks like he's not moving. He might be preparing you to move in so he can use you. The second thing here, this is the word of the Lord. This is our DNA, our MO in this church. The knowledge that you're living in the last days should animate your faith. We don't do... Every Sunday in here is bigger than the Super Bowl. Are y'all out there? I mean, we want to be in an animated church. An animated. Thirdly, he said, somebody needs to hear this. Before I say what he said, he mentioned around the world, it's like there's a separation. All the laws are to protect the powerful and not the common people. That's the spirit that's at work in our nation. But he said, Scripture is full of powerless people doing powerful things. That's tweet-worthy right there, if I've ever heard anything tweet-worthy. And then something blessed their hearts he didn't say in the 9 o'clock service. He just said it. Doing great things. It's not based on your calling or anointing. It's on your capacity to surrender. Just lift your hand. Just tell the Lord, I, we surrender, Lord. Come on, just be a, a dry sponge and soak it up this morning. All of us have felt powerless or weak. Scripture is full of powerless people doing powerful things standing in front of us this morning thank God for a church where we're not just sitting here complaining about what's happening in DC or San Diego uh, uh, Los Angeles Chicago San Francisco there's people in this room getting engaged I told you go see sound of freedom 
this is a church that we're calling people off the sidelines. And I thank God that this is the most authentic Christian community I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of some good ones. These people right here, Lauren and Eric Tatum adopted. Eric's an attorney with Parker McFarland, who is he and Nicole. Nicole's helps lead and coordinate all of our missions effort and our missions ministry. What they had to go through to be able to adopt, it's like it's cost prohibitive. It's just, and there are, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of children stuck in the foster system. And it ain't helping them, all of them. But some foster parents, of course, are God-honoring and treat the children with respect. Well, they, God just moved on their hearts to start a whole new deal. They're both attorneys, and they said, we're going to come up with a ministry called Affordable Adoption Agency and, and not rip people off. And um, we, we, we honor you all, and we stand with you. That's not a battle we have fought and from a legal perspective, obviously, we're not... But from a spiritual perspective, we're in your corner. These are two couples, families, part of our church. And may, may, may God, get, as you have had the capacity to surrender, as powerless people, may he do powerful Acts chapter 29 stuff through this new ministry. Stretch your hands this way. Lord, over this worthy cause, you love the children. Jesus, you said you mistreat one of these little ones. You'd be better off jumping in the lake with a cinder block tied around your neck than to mess with children. And we're, the deeds done in darkness have been brought into the light and children are being mistreated around the world. And Father, we pray for children in the foster system, ever how they got there, all the trauma. We pray, Father, for you to give affordable adoption agency Give them great favor and traction, Lord God, to rescue children by the thousands, we pray. Help them connect and network with parents who love you. Get these children placed in places where they can spiritually live for you. And we pray, Lord, that you will raise up children from that system to help build that system, to rescue people, children like themselves. And we speak blessing, favor, protection, prosperity, unique connections and networking at a supernatural level. As Coleman said, may we be that church that we say, God, give us a vision that's ridiculous, impossible, so that you, Lord, can blow our minds. Every person in this room, help us, Lord, to have enlarged faith this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Come on, say amen. amen. Now receive this. The Lord bless you, keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace. Say it, I receive it. Have a great Sunday, everybody. We love you. God bless you.